We want to say welcome to everybody who's watching this. Maybe you're watching through our local television station. We're so glad you joined us. Maybe you're watching online around the world. We're so glad that you've joined us as well. It's great to be here today and have you with us. Hey, everybody here, let's welcome them in and let them know. We're glad they joined us as well. Welcome to the weekend at Waters Church. Well, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. And a special welcome to everybody who's here for the first time. We're in a series of messages called Prince of Peace. But before we get to that, uh, good big announcement for our 15 for 15 anniversary celebration. We did 15 we made 15 wishes come true for people in need in our broader community. They were vetted and selected by our great small group coaches. And uh, we got 15 wishes done. We bought cars for people, uh, homes, uh, no, didn't buy homes, but renovated homes in some way or fashion. Um, gave one lady eyeglasses who desperately needed them. Amazing things happened. You can find out about that and what, it hap and what transpired at our 15 for 15 documentary page. So it's waterschurch.org slash 15 for 15. It's up there on the screen. Check that out today. Today's the launch of that documentary. And uh, I can't think of a better way to celebrate 15 faithful years of God's work here at Waters Church than to see that happen. Amen? Amen. Something else about that documentary tells us the story, tells you the story of our church, lets you know how we got here. And so if you've ever wondered that or you're new, that might be a great place to go and find out who we are and where we come from and how God has blessed us. So we're just a, uh, an excited church. We're just a, a blessed church. And we don't get just blessed. We are a blessing. Amen. Amen. We're talking about peace in the season of Advent, the season of Christmas, when we remember Jesus' first coming because we're preparing for his second coming. And we're talking about peace because today we need peace more than ever before. I talked about this in the first week that the Statistics aren't good in regards to anxiety, stress, mental illness, people wrestling with some serious issues in their minds, in their thoughts, in their hearts. And I can't think about a better passage of Scripture to go to to find peace than Philippians chapter 4. So turn in your Bibles. If you're old school, turn in your Bibles. Or if you're new school, click in your Bibles. To Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read from that in just a moment. Philippians chapter 4, I <clears throat> read from the ESV version of the Bible. And today's message is titled, Inner Peace. And the subtitle is, How to Get Peace Without Asking for It. How to get peace without asking for peace. Because in this text, you're going to see this all about peace. We are never once told, ask God for peace. But we're given the steps. We're given the formula the scripture has outlined for how to get peace. So let's review the series, shall we? Week one, we talked about cosmic peace, the peace that Jesus Christ acquired for us at the cross 2,000 years ago to bring us peace with our creator. Cosmically, Jesus entered the heavens. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about this. He entered the heavens and he presented the final peace offering for our sins. And because of that, anyone who believes in Jesus, puts their faith in his finished work, has peace with their creator, with God. And then last week, so that's the first week is vertical peace. Second week was horizontal peace, relational peace. Talked about that last week. Guarding your heart from the wrong people. Opening your heart to the right people. Lots of feedback about last week's message. Good feedback. 
Many of you are like, thank you so much for saying those things. Help me so much. I have a challenging person. Thank you, my relationships are right. And I was like, so much positive feedback from last week. It's just like I had never preached before. And I just didn't know, I did not know how jacked up your relationships were. But I'm glad to help. But today I want to talk to the people who say this. You know, thanks for that message last week, Pastor, but honestly, relational peace isn't on the table for me. And the reason why is because you can't guard yourself from the wrong people because you might be married to them. Or you might be working for them or with them or having them work for you. And so your life is in this chaotic environment that you can't escape from. You can't just jump out of these relationships or these situations because your livelihood or your family depend on it. So what do I do when I can't just get some people out of my life and find some relational peace that way? You can have inner peace through the steps that Paul outlines in Philippians 4 so that whatever is on your outside, your inside can bear up under it and give you the strength of God's peace through it because this is what Jesus comes to do but I'm going to tell you you got to do some things we don't just experience peace by coming to church or even believing in Jesus there's things that God's word prescribes for us on how to get it and Philippians chapter 4 I'll tell you this is this is the way to peace. Paul the Apostle is going to inform us, and I want to say this intentionally. I am not the anxiety expert today. Yeah, I'm not. I really don't wrestle with anxiety. God's grace has been good to me. I've had a very good life. God's been good to my family. I don't stay up late worrying about things. If I ever do wake up in the middle of the night, I get on my knees and pray, and that settles it, and I go back to the rest and all that kind of stuff. I'm not your relational, I'm not your anxiety expert, but Paul, the apostle, is. And he's got a lot of authority on speaking to God's people about peace. And what he tells us in Philippians 4 is his outline for getting it, and we can trust him and what he says, because if anyone had reason for anxiety, It was Paul the Apostle. Now, it's in your notes there, right at the top, because I want you to see that from his story, this guy had experienced anxious situations. Again, because some of you will say, you don't know my situation, and I agree, I don't. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I'm wrestling with. 100% agree, I don't. But I'm telling you, this guy went through stuff that's tougher than yours. And he knew the secret to peace in spite of that. Let's look, shall we, at what he says in 2 Corinthians 11. It's kind of his testimony of all the anxious situations he's been through. Look what he says. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That's with rocks. Rocks. Okay. (laughs) You're like, if I was beaten with rods, I'd get stoned too. Okay, no. Three times I was shipwrecked. I just like this week I thought, shipwrecked three times. Is there anybody in this room that's been shipwrecked once? 
Like, no, like the closest that we, I know personally of somebody who's had a hard time on a boat was our executive pastor, Shane and his wife. Last year, they left New York City in January for a cruise to the Caribbean. Who leaves from New York City on a cruise in January? And they came back landing, they came back into shore during the bomb cyclone star storm, remember that? And they showed me videos of their smartphone videos of the waters pouring into the elevator shafts and all that stuff. I mean, that's the closest that anyone that I know has ever been to being shipwrecked. And let's be honest, they were sitting on the Lido deck eating at the buffet while that was happening. <laughs> so I actually haven't had that kind of experience. And I think that we kind of lose touch with the reality that some of our problems, man, they got nothing on Paul's problems, right? Three times shipwrecked. I spent the night and a day adrift to sea, frequently on journeys in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger from the city, in danger in the wilderness, in danger at sea, in danger from Paul. I mean, danger, danger everywhere for Paul. Couldn't get peace no matter where he went. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And then verse 28, look at this. And apart from other things, there is the, say the next word, the daily pressure, remember the stress sandwich? On me, of my, say that next word. I had never seen anxiety there before. I had just brushed over that. But Paul the apostle says, every day I wrestled with anxiety. I care about God's church, he says. I care about God's people. And every day I, I had some anxiety in my life over the churches. Some of you feel like you're a sinner because you're anxious. No. Paul doesn't call it a sin here. But he tells us in Philippians 4 how to wrestle through anxiety as God's people. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, with supplication and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned from me and received from me and heard from me and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that the words that we talk about today in your word will get into our spirits and in our souls and change our lives. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Help us to see Jesus. And him only, in his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. There are some scriptural texts that are worth memorizing. That's one of them. 
I memorized it myself because I need it myself to remind myself of when things come to stress me out, I know what to do. Can we just, can we just talk about an old school kind of faith practice called memorizing God's word and hiding it in your heart? Like we memorize so many other things that don't change our hearts or they upset our hearts. You say, I'm not good at memorizing. Yes, you are. Yes, you absolutely are. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Jingle. Oh, you know how to memorize. What are you putting in? What are you hiding here, friend? Because out of the heart, the Bible says, flows the springs of life. I want my well water, well watered with the words of eternal life. Hallelujah. And I want my life grounded in God's word first, right? So because in this passage, Paul, the anxiety expert, I'm going to give you five. He's going to give us. He's going to give us five proven steps to peace from the anxiety expert, Paul, the apostle. He's been there. He's done that. He's been shipwrecked. He's been chased out of town. He's been stoned, whipped, beaten, in prison. And by the way, he's writing from prison here in Philippians chapter 4. Just make note of that. He's in prison currently writing to the church. And he's telling them, don't be anxious. Any moment in his moment in his writing, a Roman centurion could walk in, take him by the hand, by the hand with chains, bring him to a place where they stretch out his neck and cut off his head. And one day, that's exactly what does happen to the Apostle Paul. And he's facing that at any moment kind of death. And he tells the church, don't be anxious. Wow. I would be like, can you guys help me not to be anxious? He's like, no, you don't be anxious. I've learned the secret and I'm sharing it with you. Five proven steps. Step number one, expect some trouble. Okay, so step number one sounds counterintuitive to getting peace, but I really believe it starts here. I really believe that a lot of our anxiety stems from life not going as we planned. All you have to do is live exactly three minutes to realize that life ain't going to go the way you want. Expect it. This is the beauty of the Christian faith. This is the beauty of being grounded in God's narrative in the scriptures for the reality in which we live, okay? We know what's up. Look at what Paul says in chapter one of Philippians. He says, it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in his name, but also, and if there was one but also I wish I could take out of the Bible, it's this one. Thank you, Lord. It's been granted to me to believe you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I'm so glad I've got faith. But also, you've got some suffering. You've got some trouble coming your way for his sake so that you as a Christian are not caught off guard when trouble shows up. You've heard the prayer that goes something like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that so far today everything is going so well. I haven't sworn at anybody. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't cursed. I haven't been greedy or lustful. Everything is so smooth sailing right now. Oh, Lord, thank you. But in just a few moments, I'm going to be getting out of bed. <laughs> and then I'm going to really need some help. <laughs> right? Expect trouble. 
Christian, we were told by Jesus to expect trouble. John 16, verse 33, in this world, Jesus says, in this world, you will have what? You're going to have it. Jesus told us it's going to come, but take heart. You see, you can't do anything about the trouble coming your way, but you can do something about the heart's response to it. For I have come, I have overcome the world, Jesus says. You can take heart and you can do so because you're ready for the trouble because he told you to expect it. I'm telling you that this is going to help you immensely. Tomorrow, you're going to get some trouble. This week's going to upend you in some respect. I think we get anxious because we don't see what we want to happen come to pass. And it propounds and compounds upon itself. Oh, now that hasn't come to pass, so now this isn't going to come to pass, and now that's not going to come to pass. And now this, and, and one after that, and just like, like towers, like a, like a total pole, just goes right up. And we, before we know it, we're overwhelmed with so many things. But here's the beauty of the Christian narrative. Here's the beauty of the biblical narrative. We know what's wrong with the world. We know what's wrong. The scriptures tell us Genesis chapter 3, two chapters of peace with God, and then Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, listen, were given dominion and authority over all of creation to manage it and steward it in peace and harmony as it should have been. And they were never supposed to get sick and they were never supposed to die. And they abdicated their authority and they gave their authority to Satan, our spiritual enemy. And ever since then, ever since Genesis chapter 3, all hell has broken loose. Do you see that the Christian doesn't say, why is this happening? Because the Christian has read his Bible and has seen that the problem with the world is sin. The selfish heart of man which abuses God's creation instead of leveraging it for God's glory, which enslaves its fellow man instead of lovingly serving them, which takes advantage of others for my own sake instead of laying down my life for their sake, that's sin. And it robs us of peace. We know why the world has so much trouble because it was subjected, Romans 8.20 says, to God's curse against its will. The world didn't want to fall. It had to fall. It had to experience the curse because its spiritual head was given dominion and submitted and, sur and surrendered that dominion to the enemy. 1 John 5, 19 says this, we know we are from God, but we also know the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Why is this happening? Because the world's fallen. Why do these things always come out of my life? Because the world's fallen. This is why. Don't freak out, Christian. Dig in. So what God has said in his word about your world, about your creation, about what's going on in the spiritual realm. Because we don't just know that there's something wrong as Christians. We know that someone is making it right. And his name is Jesus. And what Jesus did in his garden of Gethsemane was submit to the will of the Father. And he rose again in another garden to undo the mistake of the first garden. What Adam lost in the first garden, Jesus got back in the second garden and is putting it all back together again, piece by piece, and it begins with you. 
through our hearts. Romans 8.20 says, Against us will all creation was subjected to God's word, cursed but with eager hope. Why is this happening? I can't believe it. No, there's hope. There's hope. Because look what it says. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Or as Jesus says in Revelation 21.51, the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. Christ is bringing us back to the original intention for creation. Peace with God, human flourishing, loving one another, sharing with one another, glorifying him through what he gives us. So we expect trouble, but we don't lose heart in trouble. We know the Lord Jesus is working in the midst of our trouble, which brings me to step number two. And Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again. Rejoice. Step number two is this. Enjoy the presence of the Lord. Do you know that you can actually enjoy coming to church? Like you should enjoy coming to church? We don't want you miserable here. We don't. This is a place where you should feel empowered. You should feel the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in this place. You should want to come to church. Why? Because you experience the joy of the Lord. What are we doing right now? We're on the mountaintop. We're on the mountaintop. I'm giving you vision. I'm giving you perspective. I'm reminding you that your Monday to Saturday reality isn't the final authority over your life. There's a king on the throne of the universe. His name is Jesus. Let's rejoice in his authority and his victory. Let's rejoice that though Satan might trouble us, Jesus has already won the victory for us. Take some time in your regular routine, friend, to rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is at hand. Is he talking about the Lord's coming is at hand? No, he's talking about the Lord is here with you in the trouble. Enjoy it. You know that you could do this at any moment of your day. You can stop. You can pause. And you can quiet your soul before the Lord. And you can just say, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are with me right now. You do not leave me and you do not forsake me. You are with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I rejoice in your presence right now. And I'm telling you, that'll change your perspective. You know, the world tries to do this. Oh, I meditate. Well, what do you meditate on? Oh, I center myself. Well, what are you centered on? See, those things have to have a frame of reference. You can't just meditate into oblivion. There has to be an object of your meditation. And let it not be you. Oh, please, let it not be you or me. I don't want to think about me. I want to think about him. I want to think about his victory and his love and his grace and his mercy and, most importantly, the power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, Jesus. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up and accuses us, we shall condemn. Why? Because we are the people made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. You can rejoice in this at any moment. I did a, research, I did a little research, found out what Americans spend their time on. Americans spend an average of 10 hours a day doing two things, sleeping and getting ready. Or in my case, 11 hours a day because this beard does not make up itself. Hallelujah. 
<laughs> we spend four hours a day working, which is kind of odd. Four hours a day actually working, eight hours in the office, so you figure it out. Um, we shop for uh, three quarters of an hour every day. We eat for about an hour and a half every day. Do you know the second biggest chunk of our time every day is given to leisure? Recreational pursuit, video games, television watching, all this stuff, 5.3 hours a day. And then we wonder why we're so stressed out. Way down on the list at like 0.2% of our day. Spiritual practices. When Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And you don't always have to just get alone. You should get alone with God. Jesus says, get alone in your closet, in the prayer closet with the Lord. Close yourself off from all the other distractions so that you can take time with your Father. Absolutely. And when your Father who sees what is done in secret, He sees it. He will reward you. But you can sometimes just take your lunch break with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this food. I'm just going to enjoy this with you, Lord. I'm going to put my phone aside. Thank you, Lord. So that we can rejoice in the Lord and start to enjoy him and watch the peace come. I'm just telling you, these are the steps that Paul has given us for a reason. If we do them, there's peace. If we don't, there's no peace. Step three, engage everything with prayer. Because that's what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Notice the complete polar opposites here. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer. Just underline, in everything, by prayer. In everything, by prayer. Notice that it doesn't say, in everything, by Google. <laughs> in everything, by Google. Why? Because when you need answers, where do you go? You know you go to Google. <laughs> you know Oh, I've got this little headache, but it's in a weird place today. Hmm, I wonder, I wonder what strangers on the internet have to say about me. Come on, watch out. Because anybody with $3 can put up a website and claim to be an expert. Oh, I wonder, what, I wonder what people who have no clue who I am, no understanding about my identity or my story, have to say about fixing my problems. And I'm all for Google, love Google, love technology. A lot of you found our church through Google. Thank you, Jesus, for Google. But do you know that you got somebody's better than Google? That he made you and he knows you and he loves you and he put, fashioned you together in your mother's womb and he's watched you every step of the way and he knows what's right for you and he knows what's wrong for you and he has a plan for you and he wants you rooted and grounded in what he believes is right for you. Go to him. Go to him about everything. The word in Greek for anxious, I want you to write down the definition because it's a really powerful definition. It means to, draw, it means to be drawn in different directions. What a picture of anxiety for us because that's really what anxiety is like. That we are pulled by all kinds of things in different directions. And I want to illustrate this for you today because this is what it looks like to wrestle with anxiety in our lives. This is what it looks like. All my friends are coming out to help me. And these guys are gonna represent the top things in our lives that we worry about every day as Americans. And they're just gonna pull on us. They're just gonna pull, look at this. This is the picture of anxiety. 
everything pulling on me, and I'm struggling to make everything work. I got to make sure that my job is good, but then my relationships struggle, and now they're pulling on me there. And then I got to make sure that my health doesn't suffer because I got to make sure that those relationships, but they suck me dry and those bad relationships and I'm getting, I'm getting nervous and anxious and that's not helping my health. Are you seeing this? Come forward, struggles, come forward. (laughs) Are you seeing this? And then when, when, when uh, money becomes an issue, pull me away, money for a second. Look at what it's pulling me from. Sleep, go that way, sleep. Thank you, Priya. <laughs> sleep and, and money, sleep and money, sleep and money. Which one's it going to be? And then this one. You notice it's not attached yet? What is it? You know why it's not attached yet? Because this is what we do with media overload. We willingly step into it every day. Amen. Tell me what to worry about. <laughs> I already have so many things, but tell me, Fox News. What should I be worried about today, Fox News? What should I be worried about today, CNN? Vladimir Putin is actually listening in on my Alexa, isn't he? He's listening in. I knew it. So this is the picture. Like, all right, everybody pull. Like, this is the picture. Take a picture. You got to take a picture of this. Like, seriously. So that you can remember that anxiety is just like this. And this is where a lot of Americans live just barely balancing on one foot because everything's pulling me in every direction possible. And God said, I'm going to give you the Prince of Peace. Come around here, Job. Thank you so much. Remember I said it's the gift he wants us to have, but we don't open it. We don't open it. We don't explore what Jesus gives us. Oh, thank you, Jesus. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's a gift. I told you this series was about learning what? How to what? Open the gift, because I've got all these things pulling on me, and I need to remember what Paul says. What does Jesus give me? The opportunity to come into God's presence, and by, by what? By prayer, asking God for things, supplication, which means praying for other people, with thanksgiving, because I know that my God has been faithful. As I do that, I dig into what Jesus offers me, and I pull out the power to start dealing with the things that are pulling on me. So as they pull, I think the first thing that's got to go, media overload. So he, in the name of Jesus, I think, before I go and watch Good Morning America, I think I'll talk to the one who made the morning. Hallelujah. So you can go. You can go, hallelujah. And, And what about money? Oh, money, where are you? Pull me, pull me money. Because I know my father has the cattle on a thousand hills and I could just know that my father's going to take care of me. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you got to struggle in prayer about money. Come on, somebody. And my job, oh, it might get outdated. It might not last. But I know my father has me in the palm of his hand, and nothing is going to pull me out of my father's hand. And then my relationships. Oh, Lord, supplication. I got to pray for that boss. I got to pray for that coworker. I got to pray for that person who's driving me nuts. And then what about sleep? Ah, now. Me and sleep can actually have a working relationship, a healthy relationship, because I've settled those other things off with God. And then health and nutrition, just go, go opposite me. Yeah, because yeah, listen, I left these two for last on purpose, because these are often the ones that suffer. 
because we're wrestling with all the other ones and we haven't gone to prayer over them. And so we eat garbage. And, and, and here's why, oh, I'm so unhealthy. I got to go to the doctor. I got all these things. And why? Because you've been sitting down saying in front of a McDonald's Big Mac burger, Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless this greasy, nasty food to the nourishment of my body. I'd eat better, Lord, but I have no time because I'm so stressed out over money and my job and my relations, which I should have talked to you about, but I didn't have time to do that either because I think I need my life in my control. No. Now I can get this right and I can get this right because all the other things have been handed off to the Lord Jesus through my weapon that Jesus has given me through his blood. I told you we'd find out what was in this gift. (laughs) This is what Paul prescribes for us as God's people. And this is what's going to bring you peace. Look at verse 7. Don't look at me. (laughs) He says, in the peace of God, which what? Some of our struggles are stubborn. Hallelujah. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard. Underline guard. Because it's a military word that Paul uses here. Please see this. Please see this. When you pray and offer your requests to God and you let him know what you need, the promise is God's peace comes like a military force around your heart and protects it and around your mind and protects it. Please don't think that the peace of God is this soft little there, there, peace, there, there, like the little fat cherubs in the Hallmark cards, there, there, the angels just kind of flitter, flutter around us. No! The angels of my script, the angels of the Bible, the angels of God's word were mighty beings in the spiritual realm. I know this because every time you see an angel show up in the scripture's narrative, he has to tell the people, don't be afraid. So that means that every time an angel showed up, the people were like, ah! (laughs) Because it was that imposing. It 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 was that intimidating. Don't you see, Christian, that the peace of God is not some soft thing? It is not some emotional thing. It is God's powerful force of protection around your heart and around your mind from all the things that would try to get into you that day. And you have that force around you. And it says to those forces that come against you, not today. This one belongs to the Father in heaven. Not today. It'll guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, which leads me to number four. Examine your thoughts. Please note that number four is after steps one, two, and three. Because you can't take authority over your thoughts until after you've offered your request up to God. Are you hearing me? Oh, I just need to think better thoughts. Okay, well, step one, two, and three. First, it's in order for a reason. 
Notice the word, the first word in verse 8. Finally. After the prayer, after rejoicing in God, finally. Now, take, take captive what's renting space in your head. You can't stop your thoughts from coming in, but you can stop them from staying in. In another passage of scripture, Paul says, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That thought's not of Christ. I take you captive right now in the name of Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. The Lord rebuke you. See these scriptures there for a reason, to learn how to manage this, because this is unmanageable for many people. But in the word of God, in the power of God, and through the spirit of God, you have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to take it under control. Hallelujah. And then he says, whatever is true. I wonder about how many of us think about what is not true and worry about it. <laughs> what is not, what, how many of our thoughts we think and we worry about and it never happened anyway? It was like that number is like 80%. Uh, the Huffington Post actually had an article said, through scientific discovery they have found out, I don't know how, but 85% of what we worry about never happens. Don't you see why Jesus said, don't worry about your life? It turns out he was onto something. <laughs> he knew not everything is true. Not everything that you hear on television is true. In fact, most of it's not. Not everything that you see on the internet is true. What's true? The empty grave is true, friend. The cross is true. God is true. Jesus is true. The word of God is truth. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah. Take those thoughts captive. My son, Jake, six years old, and <laughs> he illustrated this for me this week about getting rid of those thoughts that just betray us and attack us. And we were on the way home <clears throat> from his soccer practice, and uh, he said, Dad, I know what you and Mom are getting me for Christmas. Six years old. It's a keyboard. I said, don't you mean Santa? He said, no, Santa's not real. Six years old. He's never had this happen to anyone under the age of 10 in our house. He's six. He's already done with Santa. I said, Jake, don't you want Santa to be real? He said, no, I don't want him to be real. I said, why not? I'll never forget what he said. This is what he said. He said, because then I would be on the naughty list. At first I was mad, but then I was like, good for him. <laughs> Take that thought captive. I want you to just like unpack this with me for a moment. My son thought about this. I ain't getting presents if that Santa Claus is in the way. <laughs> so eliminate Santa, get the presents. I take that thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Hallelujah. There is no Santa. Mom and dad gave me my keyboard. I, I just love that because he's just like, he's identifying the things he doesn't want to think about so it doesn't get in the way of what he knows is true. And when he knows it's true, 
is that no matter how naughty he is, mom and dad love him. And we're going to get him that stinking keyboard. <laughs> and how many of you need to start taking those captives, those thoughts captive that get between you and the love of your heavenly father? Come on. Take those thoughts, examine them. The Bible says in Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Lastly, step five, emulate people who love the Lord. Okay, so this is what Paul says, all right? This is step five in the list. He says, what you've seen in me and learned and heard and received, do what I do. Can I ask you to just think about this for a moment? Who are your heroes? Who are your, who are your people that you say, I want to be like them? Now you say, I don't have anybody in my mind like that. There's definitely somebody you're trying to be like. If you don't do it intentionally, you will do it subconsciously. And you will inadvertently follow the wrong plan and person. You need to follow people who love Jesus. You need to listen to people who love Christ. Check the track record of their life. Do they leave relational destruction in their wake everywhere they go? Do they chew friends up and spit them out? Do they swear and curse and fly off the handle? Do they turn to the bottle when trouble comes? Are they addicted to all the fornication lies of our current society? Or are they people who honor Christ in their life and say, Jesus Christ is my highest order and my greatest priority? Are they people who walk steadfastly through trouble with Christ? Are they people who honor him with their life? Get a hold of these people and follow them and let your life be influenced by them because you are the sum total of the relationships you've had over the past five years. And you need to make some new friends, maybe. And get into some relationships with people who love Christ. I'm talking about your peace, all right? I'm talking about your peace. This is for you. You can have it. But you got to do some stuff. You got to follow the steps. And the Prince of Peace will come.